arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all evil in some form or another. I'm not guilty. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicki. I'm Rachel. And we're back again. Yes, this, well again. This month <laughs> with a brand new hey, guest host, my me. very good friend, Mrs. Rachel Bonin. Hello. I almost said miss. Should I have said miss? Uh, Would that have made you today. feel better? <laughs> I'm a missus today. Pisses me off tomorrow. I'll be a miss. It's okay. Fine. Okay. Fair. So Rachel is a really good friend of mine. Um, we have known each- we were just talking. We have known each other for a yeah. really, really, really long time. Our moms are friends. <laughs> yeah, our moms so cute. Our moms have gone on vacation together. Oh my gosh, our moms are in book club together. They saw the Barbie movie together. They did without us. They did. That was shady. They did. I was not. I finally watched that. <laughs> by too. the way, oh my god, I loved it. I cry. It I've watched it like four times it now. Was the best. Anyway, deeply obsessed. We also have a shared interest in true crime. Yes. I would say. Yes. Um, so I'm thrilled to have you on the show for the next Thank couple of you. episodes. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> so I've been asking uh, the people that have been the people. It's been Good Tiff. Crew. Tiff <laughs> did a couple. And then my mom came in and did a couple. Good old Eileen. Um, yes. Everyone loves Eileen. I love her so much. She <laughs> taught me how to read. Yeah, she was she was Rachel's <laughs> teacher in middle school. She yelled her at elementary me for school. reading ahead in the book. Yeah, <laughs> shame on you. Attention. Shame on you. I know. Stop getting an education. She's still mad. <laughs> she still <laughs> hates <day>. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have been asking them, mm-hmm. what if you can think back or remember? Do you remember the moment that you first got interested in true crime? Like, was there a case that like? Mm really kind of sparked things for you That's or like good one well we were just talking about school with your mother mm-hmm. I definitely I used to go um into the library and I would find like I, I was really into like history um but I always felt in history class they didn't talk about stuff enough I wanted to know the dirty details I'm like okay well, yeah why yeah what so I would get all these history books and that kind of led me into like the creepy the creepy history because they'd always say like Okay, this thing happened, but then there was this weird occult theory that went into it. I'm like, sure. that's the road that I'm on. So right. it just led me into like learning more about like cults and yeah. the occult, and then that kind of segued into true crime. So I was yeah. just the creepy little the kid creepy kid <laughs> reading about uh, Mary Bell. Mm. And do you remember that one? Vaguely, the the evil little British girl. Yes, like killing little yeah, boys. Yeah, yeah. I yes. remember reading about that. Okay, which is bad because I. I have super bad anxiety, so I'd read it, and then I'd have, like, anxiety nightmares for nights, and then I would just read it again, so. And here we are today. <laughs> yeah, totally fine. Totally normal people. So relatable. Very, we're just, we are very well-adjusted adults. Here we are. That's a good question, though. What was your, like, intro case? Yeah, so, uh... In high school, mm-hmm. freshman year, I had Mr. Peters for English because oh. I was in honors English. Same. Toot my own horn. <laughs> toot, toot. <laughs> uh, so the very – I remember it being – this might sound really strange. Love it. But I remember this being a very freeing moment because he 
assigned a research paper, uh-huh. but there were no parameters. It was like, just research something. I love that. And it was like the first paper of the year. And the fact that it wasn't like, okay, you have to research a famous person who impacted right. history or research an event or research this thing. It was just that's, like, that write a research freeing. paper. I love that. It was like, oh my God, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And I can't even remember how I had gotten to this, like mm-hmm. where I went from step A to step <laughs> J <laughs> and chose this topic, but I landed on John Wayne Gacy oh. and became obsessed mm-hmm. with researching the John Wayne Gacy case. So that was kind of like the first like taste. And then That's after that, it was um, Jonestown. I oh, yeah. <laughs> looked into that. And actually, I did a re- in high school, I also did a research paper on Andrea Yates. That was like oh, kind of the. Of my so that kind of got me more interested in the sort of like religious yes. aspect of some of these crimes me and too. sort of led me toward the cult route. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was actually. <gasps> Shout out to Mr. Peters. Mr. Peters. Uh, My freshman year high school English (laughs) teacher who let me research whatever I wanted. was a G. And now I do this. (laughs) Now I talk about murder all the time. (laughs) It's all thanks to you. (laughs) So we have a great show for you this week. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited. But first, let's head over to the newsroom. Yes. So this week, we are talking about, and actually, I there's weirdly a lot happening yes. in the world of true crime Is and criminal weird? justice. Well, I mean, I think it's a lot. No, it's on been a lot. Major cases, yes. major things. Yes. So I wanted to talk about. Scott Peterson. Oh my God. Okay. We were texting about this earlier. Yes. <laughs> so this is this is kind of big news and very relevant to the episode. Yes. Uh so for those who don't know, Lacey Peterson, uh, who was 27 at the time, she disappeared from um, the couple's home, her and Scott, were married in Modesto on Christmas Eve in 2002. She was pregnant at the time. Mm-hmm. And then in the following spring, after everything thought out, her body showed up on the shore of San Francisco Bay. Um, Scott Peterson was arrested and charged with killing his wife, dumping her body, mm-hmm. um, and was convicted in 2004 and was sentenced to death. He eventually had that overturned and was sentenced to life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it had something to do with the jury uh, yeah. and the the. I think they weren't like entirely unanimous. It was. Like it, so when you're on a jury for a death sentence, you have to be um, death sentence qualified. Yeah. And it had something to do with that. So anyway, so he's been in prison this whole time. But as we record this very recently, right the, this very moment. L.A. Innocence Project, um, which we've definitely talked about the Innocence Project a ton on this show. Amazing resource. Big fan. Yes. Big fan. They have decided to take a look at the Scott Peterson case, which I think is very interesting. It is interesting. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean they are, like, fully taking up the case. As of this moment, they've kind of said that they're investigating. They're looking into it. That's what I saw, too. Uh, And, I mean, if if there is something, they're going to find it, right? Right. 
And I also am very on board with, like, people who are innocent not being stuck in jail. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, is he one of those people? No. (laughs) Yeah. Very, very strong opinions. Yes. On this guy. What are are your thoughts? I feel like you got a lot of thoughts, Rachel. I feel like he's where he needs to be. Okay. Um, At this time, I just think there's so much. Like, that was one that I remember hearing about and... Uh, only more recently, I listened to a bunch of different podcasts, watched a couple documentaries about it, because um, it's a more common one, I feel. Yeah. So it just comes yeah. up a lot. And I didn't really realize that it was like considered sort of a um, like a controversial case until after I'd watched all this stuff. I was like, people didn't think that he did it. Yeah. Which yeah. documentaries were they watching? Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, obviously... There is only a certain amount of evidence that we as the public are privy to, right? He went through an entire trial. Right. It wasn't like he pled out. Yeah. No, Um, it was a huge thing. So there's evidence that's presented at trial. You know, so we we have what everybody else has, right? Right. So I can see, to me, this is one of these that feels very open and shut. Right. But I also, in the back of my mind, am like... I know there's other cases that have felt very Completely. open and shut. That Comple- and media bias is so real. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all we've all fallen for it yeah. at one time or the other. So if the Innocence Project, who has done so much good work and they're so thorough, yes. if they found something, I want to know what it is. Right. And I will tell Scott Peterson I'm sorry. But, yeah. I um, think that's super yet. important. Is the Innocence Project is very yes. thorough. Very. If it very was for another source, I feel like I would have been like, yeah. Oh, yeah. ew. Whatever. <laughs> like so what. Yeah, yeah. And but up to this point, to up me. to this point, they haven't granted it. They're, they're basically saying we're not interviewing. Right. We're not commenting other than we're looking into it. Which I really respect. Yeah, yeah. Um. So it's it's very, very up in the air. Like if mm-hmm. they have found anything thus far, if they right. just started looking into it, Um. definitely anxious. to, me And too. it could be a couple of years before right. we, you know what I mean some of this Which stuff is good, takes time but you know takes not time. good for us who want to know yeah right <laughs> I want to know now not good for us nosy nancies that want to know they haven't called us everything. yet <laughs> terrible we need to be the first phone call <laughs> I've seen <laughs> so when I first heard about this I had gotten a text message from my mom that said mm-hmm. oh the LA Innocence Project picked up the Drew Peterson case which is oh, a very different case yeah and I oh, thought so she mixed them up <laughs> yes and I thought and I did the Please. same thing actually a little bit ago when I was pulling this case up I was like why did I type that in there's a police officer out of Bolingbrook Illinois Mm -hmm. named Drew Peterson who was arrested for uh, killing his wife I think I think so I'm pretty sure it was for killing his wife and so I'm looking this up and I'm like why would the LA Innocence Project (laughs) be representing on this case yeah because I'm also pretty sure that Illinois has an Innocence Project that's run out of um, NIU I think I think it's either NIU or ISU I can't remember which but I'm pretty sure we have one awesome run out of Northern Illinois great because also we have the highest wrongful conviction rate in the country Um, anyway we do (laughs) yeah wow we actually do I did not know that it's insane (laughs) it's a whole thing uh so (laughs) i know so anyway um so i'm I'm like why are they taking up this case but it's interesting because he is also he recently fire filed for um ineffective assistance i think and is trying to get his case overturned on appeal so it was like weird because it also matches up but there's also these there's just a ton of peterson 
murder, there, murderers out there. Yeah. Because what was the the name of the guy on from the staircase? Um, oh, was also Peterson. That's right, Michael Peterson. Okay, that's another one. That's another episode. But that's another one where I'm like, people um think that he didn't do that. I am torn. Oh, we're gonna fight. I am oh, I actually torn about this, but we don't have time for that today. <laughs> That might have that might have to be an off bite conversation. <laughs> no, I would love to talk about that because that is well, one that I go back and forth on all the time. Also, the fucking owl. I am an okay. owl theorist. No, I'm 100 percent an owl theorist. Owl yes, 100 percent owl truther. Well, this is anyway. a great podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> you can forever. see yourself out <laughs> okay. down the stairs. So with that, <laughs> we are going to move on to Netflix and Kill, which this yes. week is a Max and Kill. Thank you to Discovery. Oh, good. So we are going to return to something we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. Very curious. Season two, Natalia Speaks. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Speaks she did. Oh, my God. So <laughs> for those that don't remember, uh, Natalia Grace, uh, she was adopted by the Barnetts. Uh, Michael and Christine, when she was younger, she's Ukrainian born and mm-hmm. came over to the U.S. She was kind in of, an orphanage over there, wasn't she? She was in an orphanage yes. in the Ukraine. She is also a little person. Mm-hmm. She, I forget what specific um, name her, because yeah, she has a specific type of dwarfism. Yeah, because she, she, her um, limbs, her hands and feet are really affected mm-hmm. by the growth. So I forget what it is, but um this also meant she had to have a bunch of surgeries yes. and which factors into all of this. Anyway, she gets adopted in the U.S. by this family. It doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. She gets basically pawned off on the Barnetts, essentially, after kind of meeting. It's okay. You, you should watch this whole it's thing because there's just a lot of twists and turns in this. Right. Yes. So then the Barnetts suspect she's not actually a child. And go through the effort of re-aging her in the courts to, like, 23 or 4. It was a pretty advanced Um, age. In actuality, they have since discovered she was, at that time, actually, like, 7 years old. um, Which is wild. They move her out into an apartment on her own. um, And then it all of any... Okay, they're accused of abuse. They go to court for abuse. Michael Barnett is found not guilty. He's acquitted on all charges. Mm -hmm. He claims that he was also abused by Christine. Um, Natalia sort of gets adopted by this other family. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this is kind of where things end, right? Yeah. Season one. Season two. (laughs) That is a very, like, I I I don't even know if you can follow the explanation, but, like, it's a crazy story. It's super crazy. Season two, Natalia reaches out to Discovery and says, mm-hmm. it's time for me to talk. Like, Which, like, good for you, girl. Michael Barnett, who, by the way, does a he's the one who does a ton of interviews mm-hmm. and is, when Janelle and I talked about this, we sort of felt like he might be on the spectrum. I know his son yeah. has... Um, Asperger's, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's very and he's genetic. In- incredibly intelligent. Yeah, he's a he was like, yeah, he's a prodigy. His yeah. mom was like profiting off of books of him and he was going mm-hmm. to school in Canada. And that, shit. Yeah, that was the whole yeah. thing. They moved to Canada like without her. Yeah. Yeah. So that he could go to like fancy prodigy school. Yes. Well, kind of. Kind of. They yes. Well, they we'll left because they were it. dicks. But they yeah, they left because <laughs> shit was going down in Indiana with right. Natalia and then Christine recorded Michael saying he was threatening to kill them uh-huh. and then he got kicked out of Canada and you then it's just normal family <laughs> yes. stuff. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> according to him, according right. to him, right? So 
Natalia decides to speak mm-hmm. and tell her side of the story. And I think the reason this to me feels kind of brilliant is they essentially go through the first season the exact same way they have the um i forget what her name is but the woman who was directing Uh and like doing all the interview the the investigative journalist who had like done all the interviews for Mm -hmm. season one going back through all of the evidence oh and having her sort of natalia is telling what she remembers and then they're they're talking about this adoptive family um, mm. of hers that she calls mom and dad. At the end of the season, they get officially like in the court get adopted. She oh, okay. like get the paperwork. It's a very sweet moment. Um, I'm not gonna talk about. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to decide what to talk about that is not gonna totally <laughs> spoil this. It's kind of a drama. It's very twisty turny. Are we gonna that. talk about her? age yeah so they do genetic testing they do genetic testing and she is currently like 21 i think yeah but she was a child right which means yeah genetically speaking she was a child the entire time which okay a lot of people were surprised i wasn't i'm gonna be a tourist here i was not surprised i was not surprised she looks like a child yeah and she did then yeah like people are like oh well she has dwarfism and stuff i'm like but just yeah. because she may be of smaller stature she still looked facially like a child yes there's a big difference and there is a one of the families that was trying to adopt her mm-hmm. was a little couple oh okay and they are like because she had like visited them for a few months to like oh, get wow. used to maybe going to these new parents yeah. and before That's she was good. kind of given to the barnets right um became friends with their daughter and everything and oh. they have done interviews saying she even as a little bit like she definitely looked like a child yeah. like she was a, a very obviously a child right so she goes through all of this stuff in all of these interviews mm-hmm. there comes a point where her and michael barnett her former adoptive father mm-hmm. have the opportunity to sit down because she's very much like i want answers to okay. the questions that closure. i closure yes. yeah she has also since become very religious okay. um her dad her new adoptive father uh-huh. is a pastor okay so there is kind of this okay weird <laughs> religious moment because oh. he stands okay i'm recounting this because rachel has not seen yeah, season two yet seen so it. he he stands they they get this like oh my god you guys need to watch this yeah, i don't know this at all oh my god he they get this like uh airbnb house to like conduct this interview oh, in okay, okay so michael's there like the film crew is there right uh-huh. she's walking up with the help of her adoptive father because she uses a walker uh-huh. and there's some like steps and stuff to get up to the house okay the door to the the front door to the house is open. All these people are standing in this room, and before she comes in, they're they're kind of like, okay, let's pray really quick, like before you get okay. in. Which fine, sure. But they are the type of prayers that are like sort. They sort of go on and on and on, and it okay. becomes a little more intense and like. Oh. You know, and so he's standing out on the front porch with Michael Barnett sitting in the in the chair, uh-huh. and he's like, "Don't let that devil like find you know speak his evil words. We're here with the po- the power of God oh, is here like today." Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sheesh. Before she enters, the, and so they're all just like sitting there listening to this. So it kind of sets a tone for this first interview, <laughs> okay. which explodes in their face. He 
Bar- Michael Barnett leaves. It's this whole big thing. The second time they sit down to talk to tr- sort of redo it, uh-huh. um, there's like no go topics. So like he negotiated that he would not talk about okay. the age change specifically. I he didn't talk about the age silly. change specifically. Um, he. I think got coached by his attorney on how uh-huh. to redirect. He did oh, a lot uh-huh. of redirecting and then it was like back on Feeding the attention bit. is on right. him. Uh-huh. Like, oh, I'm also abused. Oh, I'm also and I'm not trying to discount that. Like I do think there training. was, but yeah, it's a it's wild. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because when you said prayer, I was like, okay, like, you know, not my thing, but like, oh, they're all gonna join hands. Let's do a little grace before she no. comes in. Oh no, no, we're doing a sermon. Okay. That's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. They're <laughs> like kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if you would have done that. Yeah. If the they have a scene in the beginning where she's like, they're having these sweet moments with yeah. like her adoptive family because they have adopted like eight kids. I mean, it's like oh. a ton of kids and she, her brother's Everybody and needs right. a hobby. There's, mom- there's a moment where they are laying hands and speaking in tongues. And I was like, oh, oh they're that no. kind of. When, when you said like it was about to go on, mm-hmm. I was like, I was thinking of like the, what is that? Like Southern... Baptist. I'm not sure what they yeah. are, but the, they're yes, the people the Baptists. who like, speak in tongues and do the snakes. Yeah. And that's yeah. fun. It's not the snake. Well, the snakes is like a whole other. What? <laughs> that's like a whole other thing, but Hello. not with them. But like, <laughs> oh, okay. no, no, no. In general, okay. snakes is like a snakes. different Love that. section of Baptist. But yeah, <laughs> generally, they, they do like the laying of hands okay. and speaking in tongues. And I was like, that's oh, a lot. oh, anyway, oh. I have gone on about this way too long. <laughs> um, if you're interested, I highly suggest it. There is, as far as I'm aware, going to be a season three. Because mm-hmm. if you don't want to hear a spoiler, fast forward like Plug your ears. 20 or 30 seconds. Go get a drink. I'll give you a second. We'll you be waiting for Fast you. forward like three seconds. Are you gone? Okay. So <laughs> they they pull like a major twist moment in the last like 30 seconds of season two. Dick move. Because her adoptive parents call up Discovery <gasps> and they're like, she's out of our house. She's evil. Like what? right after they have this cute adoptive moment of like getting it approved at the courthouse, they're like, she fucking left. We don't want what? her here. She's like brought evil into our oh. house and all of a sudden things got a little weird. So. And they ended it like that? Yeah. So they said I get up for a season three. But, oh my God. Yeah. This is why I'm like, you should fucking watch I'm gonna. Show. It's take the afternoon after yes. we're done recording. Oh my Go gosh. Go home and watch it. It's wild. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So sorry if you didn't want that spoiled, but I spoiled it for you. <laughs> anyway. Um, you can come back in now. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're done talking about it. Come back uh, in. So that is the curious case of <laughs> Natalia Grace. Natalia Speaks season two. Watch season one. Watch season one if you haven't seen it yet, because mm-hmm. season two is like, okay, you could probably get away, but like. But like, why not just watch season yeah, yeah, That's on yeah. Max. It's on Max, yes. Great, okay. Yes. This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Mm-hmm. We are going to be discussing some instances of murder. I definitely have some sexual assault in yes. mind. I don't go too into it, but yes. it's there. Yes, unfortunately. Um, but this week, we are talking wrongful convictions. Yes. This is something that I kind of like to revisit at the beginning of the year because every year, you know, there's always some big things happening in right. um, wrongful conviction news. I think I saw somewhere that in total it was like uh, 23 overturn or, or reversals last year just from oh, the really? Innocence. I mean, there's like the Innocence Project is the big one. Right. Um, and there are other organizations that do similar mm-hmm. things. Um, I want to say that's what it was. 
I forgot to put it down in my notes. That's pretty cool. They're an amazing, they're an amazing yes. resource. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little mad at them about Scott Peterson, but we'll see. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I know. You got to <laughs> patience, man. You don't know what's I going don't on. I have any. <laughs> I don't have any. So I wanted to look at one of the last cases of mm. 2023 to mm-hmm. be reversed. Um, we are going to talk about Marvin Hayes. Ooh. Are you familiar with this at all or not so much? Not so much. Okay. I might be later when I remember. But okay. I'm like now I'm like, I'm not sure. And I remember I was, as I was working through this case, I am sort of familiar with this because mm-hmm. I think I remember they covered it on, um, there is a, like a, Injustice podcast that I oh, used uh-huh. to listen to that dealt with wrongful convictions. And okay. I'm pretty sure they covered it there while he was like in the process of working with the Innocence Project. Oh, okay. Um, but I like, I kind of remember it and kind of don't. So it yeah. was kind of nice to like look at this again. That's good. Yeah, to revisit it. Yes. Uh, so Marvin Haynes' long journey through the justice system mm-hmm. starts on May 16th, 2004. <gasps> That's my birthday. Is it really? Yes, not 2004. <laughs> Oh, God, I hope not. You'd be such a baby. <laughs> gross. <laughs> um, wow, that's wild. Anytime what was I'm the year again? I'm sorry. 2004? 2004. Okay. Yeah. Anytime I see my birthday pop up, I'm like, ew. Me too. Ugly. <laughs> because, you know, we're always talking about crime. I'm like, yeah. Mine comes up in crimes all the time. Mm. I feel like every time I watch a documentary, they're like, May 16th. I'm like, oh. Oops. <laughs> sorry. Sorry for being born on that day. Sorry for partying. <laughs> So, May 16th, mm-hmm. 2004, at a family-run flower shop called Jerry's Flower Shop in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. The shop was run by the Shearer family, mm-hmm. and on that day, 57-year-old Cynthia McDermott was working. Um, she was – that was her married name. Okay. Yeah. A young black man entered the shop around 11.45 a.m. requesting a flower arrangement for his mom's birthday. Nice. Later, McDermott would say that she didn't know the man, but that she may have, like, seen him around the neighborhood, possibly standing at a bus stop. The two chatted about potential arrangements, and according to the National Registry of Exonerations, quote, he mentioned that his mother was a chiropractor and that he was currently going to school. Okay. Uh, So he was getting an education. Yeah. McDermott said the man settled on an arrangement. She told him the cost, and then she turned around to start, like, preparing this arrangement. Uh-huh. But when she turned to retrieve the money, from, um, turned uh-huh. back to the guy, he was holding a silver gun and demanding money. Aw. Uh-huh. But when she went to get the money from the till, he was like, no, no, no. I want the money in the back of the shop. Oh, okay. Just at this moment... McDermott's brother, Harry Scherer, entered entered the shop, which got the attention of the gunman who turned to face the front door. McDermott takes this opportunity to flee the shop through a side door. uh, And on her way out, she hears two gunshots. Oh. And so she leaves and then she runs to the nearest house to call the police. Uh Uh-huh. McDermott would also say that she saw a man running down the alley with his hood up. Okay. Now, this is again from the National Registry of Exonerations. Mm -hmm. Um, When she called 911, quote, McDermott told the operator that the gunman was a thin black male in his early 20s and about 5 feet 10 inches tall. Mm -hmm. When police arrived at the scene, she reiterated her initial description, including that the assailant weighed approximately 180 pounds and wore his hair in a short, close-cropped style, end quote. 
remember. Right. All I was going to say these are a lot of good details. Yes, and this is right after it happened. Right. Okay. Police come. They arrive immediately. Um, when they get there, right away, they uh, summon dogs to the scene uh-huh. to try to track the gunman. Uh, first, the officer, Andrew Stender, arrived with a dog who led him through the alley and then stopped at this parking area that was, like, on okay. the other side of the alley. And then a bloodhound officer showed up, and his dog took the same route. Totally separate. Okay. Uh, investigations inside the flower shop turned up two bullets from a revolver, but no casings. Oh. Um, as well as two identifiable fingerprints that were later determined to be belonging to a, a police officer. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So the following day, uh-huh. May 17th, McDermott was brought in to do a photographic lineup Mm -hmm. in which she identified one of the people presented as the gunman with a 75 to 80 percent certainty. Okay. So this is the day after. So a C plus. I mean, (laughs) she also I I remember seeing um, in some of the articles that she was like, Mm -hmm. I was also in shock. Like, I was still, you know. That sounds pretty certain, but, like, I was still trying to process what just happened. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure this was horrible for her. Because this was probably less than 24 hours later, like, just the next day. I can't even imagine. Uh, So the man that she pointed out was a man named Max Bolden, uh, but he, they were able to verify that he was actually in South Dakota when the shooting happened. Okay. Okay. So he for sure did not do it. He for sure was not even in the state. Okay. On May 18th. Authorities got an anonymous tip saying that the person they were looking for was nicknamed Little Marvin. Okay. Which led police to 16-year-old Marvin Haynes. Uh-huh. Okay. Who, he was pretty much arrested and questioned right away. They had, like, um, there was, like, an outstanding warrant mm-hmm. for a curfew violation. That they were like, we're going to bring him in on this warrant. And while he's here, we can question him for this crime that we're suspecting him of. Mm -hmm. Interesting, right? Right. Yeah. Like it's a curfew violation and he's getting whatever. Right. Like calm down. Whatever. Whatever. So he gets brought in, starts getting questioned. From the get-go, Haynes pretty much denies any involvement in the Mm -hmm. shooting. At the same time as he's like at the police station – getting interviewed a dare officer in which if people don't does everybody oh remember God. dare we had dare officers yes. at our school <laughs> it's like drug addiction something something mm-hmm. they basically told you to not do drugs yeah don't do drugs kids. yeah it totally worked it was a very <laughs> ineffective program yeah. i think the stats on it are really funny it's really if bad you're a 90s kid it's and you really want to look it up that's a whole rabbit hole us. yeah <laughs> Uh, so this dare officer in St. Louis Park Junior High School was approached by a student who claimed that he had information relating to the crime. Mm. So the student's name was Ravi Seeley, um, and he went into the police station on May 19th and was this happening really quickly. Yeah, this is like yeah. day, this is, the dates are really important because yeah. the shooting happened on May 16th. This mm-hmm. is the 19th. You have yeah. day after day after day, something happening. Yes. So, Ravi Seeley goes in May 19th. He's presented with a photographic lineup, and he identifies Haynes, whose picture is now in the lineup, uh-huh. as the person that he witnessed leaving the flower shop. Now, 
is very important. Uh-huh. The picture that they used in the lineup, because this is now after Haynes has been arrested, right. okay, is from two years prior okay. when he had a short cropped hairstyle okay i'm gonna show you the picture really quick so when you look at this the picture on the right uh-huh. is the picture from two years ago the picture on the left is when they arrested him and took the mug shot like okay. two days after okay. after this had happened okay Turn and they're around. not they're not great pictures okay get out of here so now, those are different can people. you describe <laughs> what you're seeing okay so the picture with the longer hair it's like kind of looks afro-ish yeah I, I, there's only like half the picture i don't want to generalize it's a very dark picture too. yeah and i'm yeah. a white person so i'm so sorry in advance um but it definitely well i just you know i, I don't know, use I the know. wrong yeah. terminology but it looks like an afro and it's pretty thick i mean yeah. like three to four inches out and then the second picture close cropped okay audience these look like different men yeah they look like different people yeah. Like it doesn't, it's, it's night and day. Yes. So, and she had said like he had close cropped hair. Right. So they pulled this picture from two years before when he had that, but that's not, I mean, you cannot grow your hair that quickly within like a matter of two or three days. I wish I could. Right. (laughs) Life would be a lot easier. (laughs) Super easy. Yeah. That's startling. Yes. Next to each other. That's crazy. Right. I looked so long to find the the side by side because it really is like, ugh. So McDermott Mm -hmm. was then brought in later the same day and was shown the same lineup that they gave to Seeley. And this was a photo lineup, right? Photo lineup, yeah. I'm sorry. She, okay. My bad. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no. It's okay. I'm glad you brought this up because I think I left this out of my notes. Seeley's shown a photo lineup. Mm -hmm. She gets brought in and is shown a live lineup of the same people that were in Seeley's photo lineup. Okay. So they they brought a live lineup in. Yeah. She also... (laughs) That, um, okay, the f- it's it's important to note the mm-hmm. first lineup that McDermott saw was conducted by this officer that was not connected to the investigation. Okay. It's called a double-blind lineup. If anyone's wow. familiar with, like, medical testing, they do double-blind studies. It essentially means the person administering it does not oh. know – uh-huh. So it's not connected and does something. not know. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's good. So that there is no influence, right? Yeah. They the second two lineups that McDermott did, because uh-huh. she did she did a photo and a and a live. Okay. Um, were done by officers directly involved in uh-huh. the investigation, which is like a very big right. ethical no-no in yeah. most police departments. Uh-huh. That becomes relevant in my case as well. So yep. Yes. Um, to do that. Yeah. There is also, and I think I talk about this later, but there is this phenomenon when you're shown the same picture multiple times mm-hmm. too, to like lean towards that yes. because it keeps appearing. Right. You know? Yeah. Humans recognize S- patterns. We yes. do it subconsciously. Yeah. Totally. So again, from um, the registry quote, on May 20th, Celia and McDermott were subsequently shown a live lineup. The lineup was also conducted by Matson and Keefe, the two investigators that uh-huh. were working on the case. Okay. Um, Haynes was therefore shown to both witnesses a second time. Both witnesses eventually identified Haynes, but also, but both also expressed doubts during the procedure. Okay. Haynes was subsequently arrested for first degree murder and second degree assault. Wow. Okay. And again, this is just so fast. I know, I know. 
Um, I will also say there's a lot to this case yeah. that I kind of just left out for time. No, totally. These are the big points. Yes. But it's, yeah, it's it's crazy. So following his arrest, police started questioning Haynes' family to, uh-huh. like, see what information they could glean. Nothing was really panning out until, after multiple attempts, Haynes' first cousin, 14-year-old Zia Harper, okay. told investigators that Haynes had previously mentioned committing a robbery and that he admitted to shooting a man in the head. Oh. Okay. Police also managed to get a statement from 14-year-old Anthony Todd, uh-huh. who had been friends with Haynes at okay. the time. Because remember, Haynes is 16. Yes. He's 16 years old. Right. At first, Todd told police that he had absolutely no knowledge of the robbery. Mm-hmm. But again, after multiple interviews, Todd instead said that the morning of the murders, mm-hmm. Haynes had said he was going to commit a robbery. Okay. I, I'm getting a little smell in here of coercion. Is that little subtle top maybe, notes? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Subtle. Sketchy, right? Very sketchy. So Haynes went on trial in August 2005. Okay. And boy, did things get even sketchier oh, from no. there. So these are, again, I'm not going to go through everything because trial was a fucking ride. Where was this at, by the way? You said already. Uh, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. That's yes. right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is also kind of important. Right. Because you're talking about um, a black perpetrator shooting a white man. like In Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. White city. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's what I figured. So these are some of the things of note that Uh happened at trial or were testified to at trial. Okay. One of the officers that testified about the fingerprints, they talked about the fingerprints found Uh at the scene. He said the two belonged to the police officers. They did find five other fingerprints, but Haynes was excluded from any of them belonging to him. Okay. None of them belonged to Haynes. Cool. Okay. McDermott testified that she had no doubt Haynes was the shooter. Okay. Seely. Uh, who was the student who yes. talked to the dear officer. Um, Seeley testified to his doubts about his identification and said he told police at the time that he had doubts about the accuracy. <laughs> he He's on the stand testifying okay. to this. <laughs> One of the officers involved in the lineups testified that he acknowledged Haynes didn't match the initial description given, but that during the IDs, McDermott acted shocked and emotional when Haynes saw his picture. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I can't remember if I put it in here, but so Haynes was like, he's like 5'7", 130 pounds, Mm -hmm. like a kind of a scrawny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Harper... This this is kind of crazy. Uh-huh. Harper attempted to recant his prior <gasps> statements on, when he got on the stand, uh-huh. saying that he never told police that Ooh. Haynes was going to commit a robbery, that he had been threatened with 15 years in prison if he didn't say what the police I wanted him to say. smell coercion. That he had been given details about the crime by police. Oh, my God. And then, after a brief recess, uh-huh. prosecutors agreed not to pursue perjury charges as long as he told the truth moving forward. Get the f- At which point, Harper was Harper was like, "Yeah, I 
you know, this is what I told police and returned to his right. previous so statements after to police. a uh, brief altercation in the parking lot, uh, they came back inside and were like, yeah. say what we told you to say. Which yeah. is also like coercion in the courtroom because mm-hmm. like the fact that you're like, well, we won't pursue perjury charges. That's insane. If you tell the truth. He literally wink, on wink. the stand said, I did. Oh, my God. I'm boiling with rage. <laughs> I know. Literally, I, I know. Literally, I have a lot of trouble picking a case for this one because I never watch these mm-hmm. because they make me so mad. I literally will yell and scream in my living room alone. So I was like, oh, no. I'm I know. I know. I'm like steaming. I know. But they're, <laughs> oh they're so important to talk about, dude. Yes. Oh no, I'm gosh. so glad we're talking about it. But I'm like, yeah. So punch. that happened. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. Todd uh, got on the stand, testified to his prior statements made to police, so no uh-huh. change there. Um, a woman named Jennifer Coleman uh-huh. got up and testified that she had spoken to Haynes the morning after the shooting, and he said that he had killed some old white man. And they asked Coleman to identify him in the courtroom, and she could not identify Oh, him. my God. She also, uh, they asked her about the house that she had seen him at the morning uh-huh. after, and she was claiming that this there was he was at this house that belonged to Marvin Haynes. Okay. Um, but it actually belonged to a different guy named Marvin, Marvin Miller. Dun, dun, dun. Weird. Mm, very weird. And then in a somewhat rare, rare move, because this is, I would never advise people to do this, but that's why I'm not an attorney. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in a somewhat rare move, Haynes took the stand in his own defense. Uh-huh. Um, and he denied any involvement whatsoever in the robbery gone wrong. And he was able to provide an alibi for his whereabouts. Okay, case closed. You'd think so. <laughs> I would. <laughs> In September 2005, Haynes was found guilty of first-degree murder and second-degree assault and was sentenced to life in prison. Oh uh, he did oh, attempt nothing. multiple appeals, and Haynes' convictions were eventually affirmed by the Minnesota Supreme Court in January 2007. Okay. Which is pretty much where things stayed for a really, really long time. Right. 2007. Let me think about this. He, like, used up all his appeals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, well... Not quite, because he went to the Minnesota Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. The next step would be the United States Supreme Court. Okay. Um, But you can't, I mean, once you use up your appeals, like, Uh that's it. Yeah. So there is a a lot of times what you see in these exoneration cases Mm -hmm. is they get to a point where they are like, I don't want to keep going because if I use up, like. Right. If I do it without having the knowledge of the things that I need or getting the help that I need with the case. like. You could just waste your last appeal and then you're And that's where stuck. the Innocence Project comes in. Yes. They do such thorough research. Yes. It's yeah. Amazing. So his case pretty much stays there uh, for a very long time uh-huh. until the Great North Innocence Project okay. steps in. Great um, The team of Andrew Marquardt, Anna McGinn, Jazz Hampton, and Sydney Dobbs, along with a ton of others. Uh-huh. I mean, they use like a ton of interns and volunteers. and That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. They filed an application for relief on December 15th, 2022. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know it was this recent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they filed it with the Office of the Minnesota Attorney General's Conviction Review Unit, which uh-huh. they do have out there, which I I am a big advocate for conviction review units. Yes. It's not everywhere. Um, they need to be everywhere. They need to be. Yes. 
so they they file application for relief. Mm-hmm. Um, the two big arguments, and one of the articles that I'm going to link to in the show notes has mm-hmm. like all of the documents from his entire case. Oh wow! So it has all the affidavits, uh-huh. all of the the applications they filed, the appeals, everything. I highly recommend you check them out because they are yes. When it comes to uh, yeah, dude, I'm a slut for like a, court, a, a good court filing. That needs to be a shirt. Yeah, I'm a slut for a court filing. Yeah, I love that. These are masterful. They're oh, very, good. they're done very well. Yes. So their big court sounds like a circus. I nuts a kangaroo court. Kangaroo court. Uh, so their they had two really big arguments. First, they said the eyewitness identifications used to convict Mr. Haynes were fundamentally defective and unreliable. I agree. And second, that they had newly discovered evidence that further erodes the factual basis for Mr. Haynes' conviction. Ooh. Okay. So as far as the eyewitness IDs go, we kind of touched on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there were a few issues. You were able to pick up on them pretty quick. Um, I so sniffed we- it. We talked about the lack of double blind, mm-hmm. uh, which is very important. Yes. Multiple viewings of Haynes in the lineups. If his image is shown two, three, four times, mm-hmm. um, it can suggest, be suggestive. In general, mm-hmm. misidentification increases the more lineups that you do. That's what I've heard. That's why um, I asked earlier if it was a photo lineup or mm-hmm. an in-person lineup because I've been I've been hearing that um, viewing in lineups just isn't always effective, and I wasn't sure why. Yeah, you generally you don't want to do. I don't know what the number is, but you don't want to mm-hmm. do more like a ton right. of these. Because frankly, and I think uh, McDermott talks about this to police at some point where Uh she says the picture started kind of bleeding together a little bit. Which I'm sure. Um, You're also talking to, it kind of goes hand in hand. There is an issue with cross-racial identification. Yes, Um, I'm really glad you touched on that. Yeah, because McDermott is white Mm -hmm. and we're talking about a black suspect. Like Mm -hmm. there are... There does tend to be issues where it's more difficult to, like, Mm -hmm. identify somebody of a different race. Yeah. um, Which just adds to, like, eyewitness identification not always necessarily being the most reliable. Right. I mean, it's definitely not. I I don't think it should almost ever be used as a smoking gun. No. That's what it seems like it was in this case. They pinned everything on this super unreliable. (sighs) I'm mad. Yeah. Oh, it's just like Janelle's here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty wild. I'm honored. Um, and like you said, there was no forensic evidence yeah. presented at trial. It was just the eyewitnesses. Seems like it was disproved by forensic evidence. There were no fingerprints or anything. Yeah. And we've talked about on previous episodes. Um, we've done a couple episodes on like mm-hmm. junk science, right? Okay. And eyewitness identification is one of these things that like, uh, you know, along with um, like I think lie detector tests uh-huh. land in this similar thing where it's like a tool. To me, it's a tool, right? Right. Um, you don't want your entire case to rest on that alone. Yes, but I completely agree. It is a great tool to yeah. get where you need to go in a case. Yeah, a good directional. Yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Totally agree. Eyewitness ID is kind of like that. Yes, to me, you can't base your whole case on it and so they didn't have any other and this was so shaky in the first place yeah i yeah. can't bl- i know dude <laughs> i know so the new evidence that mm-hmm. the gnip was Ooh, yes. referencing so they went out um 
And they went back through all of the witnesses Mm -hmm. that pretty much have since recanted all of their testimony. Uh, The GNIP was able to obtain affidavits from Zia Harper and Robbie Mm Seeley, who were the two kids, the two 14-year-olds. Right. um, Basically saying that they had been pressured to cooperate. They... Which I'm sure um, is putting it lightly. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Um, they'd been pressured yeah. to cooperate. They'd been telling police what they wanted to hear. There was also a witness that hadn't testified at trial. Her name was Ashley Toden, um, who also said that she had been pressured by police to give false statements, but she didn't end up uh, testifying at trial. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. In addition, uh, GNIP attorneys produced affidavits from four of Haynes' sisters that provided for his whereabouts on the night before and the morning of the shooting, uh, which basically said, you guessed it, that he was not at the flower shop, but was actually at home Yeah, when all of this was happening. Of course. Their statements completely corroborated, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, words are hard. Oh, yeah, I know. Corroborated what Haynes testified to at trial already. (sighs) Now that's a smoking gun. Yes. Uh, at an, ev- an evidentiary evidentiary hearing, because <laughs> I'm almost done. <laughs> you can tell my brain is shutting down. Um, at an evidentiary hearing, it was held in November 2023. Wow. So just a few months ago. Oh, my gosh. Um, Haynes again testified to his innocence. Uh-huh. On December 11th, 2023... A judge finally signed an order vacating Haynes' conviction, and Marvin Haynes was released as a free man uh, after nearly 20 years in prison. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So he was 16 when he went in. He's in his mid-30s now. I can't even imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. It's – I mean – it's a lot. Wow. That's a lot. And those are like formative years that you're yes. missing out on a lot of stuff, man. I'm happy. I mean, the, the, the you said his four sisters yes. testified. That's yeah. good that at least he's got family who's who's sticking by him, who's supporting him. I feel like a lot of these people come out and, and they have nothing. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to minimize. I'm sure no. he's having a hard time, but I'm I'm really glad that he has that support. That's yeah. really important. He ta- I have seen interviews with him since oh, he's good. been That's out, what of, I was about to ask. out yeah. of prison. Um, And he always makes sure to thank the team at GNIP, oh. his attorneys that helped him. Um, from the Great North Inner Innocence Project. And he always talks about his sisters and how much they have oh, given up amazing. and worked to get him out this whole time. Um, it seems like he does have a really strong support system. That's there is good. a GoFundMe um, to sort of help him with oh, some of good. his immediate expenses. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously now, you know, I mean, right. he did. They do talk about um, in the application for relief. One of the points that they make is that he was ready to re-enter society, uh-huh. and they talk about all of the programs that he was doing while he was in prison. So oh, that's good. It's, and it was everything from like anxiety management and anger management Ooh. to like job prep. So like, I'm hoping. I'm I like, hoping. I need those programs. Yeah, Can right. I programs? Can I get those? Do I have to go to jail to get some help? Because <laughs> I will. Um, yeah, right. Uh, that's so amazing. It sounds like he at least has a strong start. Yeah, coming that's out. good. Um, and I mean, there is this is definitely one of the bigger exoneration cases. I know a lot of people yeah. have been following this that sort of follow these these mm-hmm. types of cases, right? So there's a huge like online community too, good. I think, that support him a lot. So hopefully, 
hopefully yeah. that at least sets him on the right path. Yeah, that's from good. The start. I'll also say on the day of his release, mm-hmm. Hennepin County attorney Mary Mor- Moriarty released the following statement. She said, quote, Almost 20 years ago, a terrible injustice occurred when the state prosecuted Marvin Haynes. We inflicted harm on Mr. Haynes and his family, and also on Henry Schurer, the victim, his family, and the community. We cannot undo the trauma experienced by those impacted by this prosecution, but today we have taken a step toward righting the wrong. Oh, that's a good, okay. Which I wanted to highlight because... There, It is like a 50-50 chance mm-hmm. in these exonerations that the DA or the state will admit any wrongdoing. That's what I've noticed, too. Um, and a lot of times, I mean, obviously, Mary Moriarty was not the county attorney uh-huh. at the time of this prosecution. Right, right, of course. Sometimes it takes people getting elected, moved out of office, whatever, mm-hmm. to sort of like get new eyes yes. on some of these things. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's like the same DA or whatever that worked on the case. Mm-hmm. That is still fighting the like. Right. I think there is some of that aspect where you don't want to admit you're wrong. It's easier for yeah. somebody coming behind you to be like, "Yeah, I we think fucked so up." Too um, fresh eyes, new perspective. Yeah. But I just feel like it's very no rare guilt. for the state to admit yeah. any wrongdoing. Yeah, I, or police I'll, to admit wrongdoing. I'll give them, or um, a crumb of props. Yeah, that was a good apology. Yeah, yeah. Um, it shouldn't happen in okay, the first Mary place. Moriarty. But like, that's not her fault too. Right. She's trying to do. Yeah, anyway. right. Um, it is also worth noting that. During this whole process, McDermott did pass away. Okay. Um, she would have been, she was like 57 when this happened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking 20 years later. Right. But her family continues to maintain that her identification was the correct identification. Uh-huh. Um, so they're, they still hold... That's sad. You know, I'm sure, and again, I'm not trying to be like, oh, because really, we know who the real victim is mm-hmm. in this case, is this poor man who mm-hmm. did nothing wrong and had to yeah. sign away his life for something he did not do. But I feel yeah. I feel and, very sorry. And Harry Sure, who yeah. didn't truly get any justice for the person who shot him, right? Exactly. Exactly. And and I and but I do feel I feel for the family yeah. because they're they're clinging on to what they have. You right. know, I'm sure in some way it did give them maybe a little bit of peace, a little bit of closure that the person who did this was put away. And I think maybe it's easier to cling to that mm-hmm. than to, to focus on this wrongful conviction. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm not, I'm not exonerating them. They need to calm down. But at the same time, I do understand. Yeah. It's hard to say what you would do right. or think put in the same situation. Right. Um, Cause you want to trust police. Yeah. Um, I don't. But I'm sure I don't. Do. I know. I'm like, <laughs> I don't. It's funny when people talk about this. I'm like, those are the last people that I feel like I right. want to call. Not me. Um, but whatever. I do not get how... <laughs> To go off on a tangent, like, yes. women get all hot and bothered about the man in uniform thing. No. Not me. I'm like, bye. Not I'm out of here. I don't want, nope. I don't want, I don't want it. Any part Maybe of it. Maybe like a post it. office uniform. They get no. really good benefits. Well, yeah, that's true. UPS. <laughs> UPS gets is bomb that ass good benefits. place where that's like her like ultimate thing is like a sexy mailman? <laughs> I get that. She was real yeah, for that. It's true. It's go true. well in her show anyway. anyway. So... <laughs> Marvin Haynes is out now. He has been out as we record this for wow. just a little over a month. Um, you know, holidays, this family, I hope. Yes. Yeah. Holidays oh, and New Year. Wonderful. Starting 2024, free man, which is awesome. New Year, New Year. I wish him all the best. He me probably will never listen too. to this. But yeah, probably not. I wish him all the best and the absolute success. Uh, but I will also say if you 
want to find out more about stuff like this, you can check out the Great Northern Innocence Projects website. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Oh, good. Um, somewhere. Definitely check it out. That's awesome. And I hope I, – I do hope that one day the per, the real perpetrator, yeah. whoever he may be, this evil uh, flower buyer, uh, gets his justice and the family and the victim get the closure that they deserve. But, yes. oh, I am so glad that he's out. Right. Oh, yeah. that is such a relief. Yeah. These are the only ones of these that I can listen to are the ones where it has a happy ending. <laughs> I try to give you. <laughs> that's all. Try to that's give you a happy ending, girl. I'm sensitive. <laughs> okay. Okay, going with our theme of wrongful convictions, this is mine. So I got uh, almost all of my information from the Innocence Project as well. Not the Great North, uh, but just the regular one. Like the national? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was the first first thing I went to. Um, And I was surprised. I've been – I've seen, you know, of course, being interested in two crime, you see – the Innocence Project all over the place. But I was amazed by how well set up their website was. Yeah. I was like, this is amazing. I think that they get, because this is one of the things when I first um, went back to get my paralegal, Uh I thought, oh, it would be so, like, one of the things I really wanted to do was go work for the Innocence Project. Really wanted to. Um, And it's not that easy. I mean, it's not as easy as just filling out a job application. Uh-huh. Uh, one, because they do use a lot of interns because right. it is a not-for-profit organization. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, like, they aren't everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, if, that's and I, true. Like I said, I think the closest one to us – I'm pretty sure it's run out of – and at you. And at the time yeah. when I was living out here, I was like, I don't want to drive out to DeKalb. But now yeah, I live out fun. there. So, <laughs> um, but I remember trying to look into it and they really have people from all sorts of um, backgrounds. That's so I'm amazing. sure that they have like a top web design team that like. I'm sure that, yeah. You know what like, I mean? There were some Gen Zers here. Yeah. Laying their little fingers on this website because a lot of these true crime like. um the other episode that we're going to do, it's an older case. And some of these websites, I was like, please, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I need help. Yeah. Not yeah. navigated well. <laughs> and I am not technology savvy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my case um, is from Dallas, Texas. Okay. Yeah. Great place. We Big love oof. it. Love everything about it. Just kidding. I'm lying. Um, his name <laughs> is Ricky Dale Wyatt, and he was uh, the 325th person ever cleared by DNA evidence. Okay. Like in Texas or like in in the U.S.? Yes. Okay. So that was pretty cool. He's got um, another sort of, uh, uh, what do I want to say? Sorry, I'm having a brain moment. Uh, Hello? <laughs> I was buffering. Uh, and we're back. Okay, just kidding. All right, so Ricky Dale Wyatt. <laughs> this is my first podcast episode. We're just gonna move on. Just move on. Move on. Okay. So this is in Dallas, Texas. This is in uh 1980. Okay. So um in Dallas, there were several. Now this is where the sexual assault portion of my story comes in. I'm just going to touch on it briefly. I'm not going into any details. Okay. But on the streets of Dallas, Texas, 
1980, November 1st, December 19th, and then January 6th, 1981. So pretty close together. There yeah. were three separate women who were pretty much pulled off of the street and sexually assaulted. Okay. Um, three separate women. They didn't know each other. It all happened fairly close together, like within a couple of blocks, I think. So there was this serial rapist going around. So the general description of the attacker, okay, these are <laughs> important okay. notes, uh, was that he was at least 5'9", if not taller, Okay. Um, between 170 and 200 pounds, although they were leaning more towards 200. Yeah, these are pretty vague descriptions. I, the, even the description of at least 5'9 yeah. is like... I know. So tall. That, right. But I don't... <laughs> right. And, okay. And it didn't say how tall the women were, so... Yeah. I really, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'm 5'8", so like 5'9", that's easy. So gaining towards like 200 pounds between 170 and 200, he had no facial hair and he had gold teeth. Oh. Yeah. So like those all are, gold teeth? Or no, just like a couple? just some. Okay. Just a okay. couple. Um, and again, this is in Texas. This is in <laughs> Dallas. And the um, he was a, a black man. Okay. That was part of the description as well, that he was a black man. Five foot nine, about 200 pounds, no facial hair, gold teeth. Okay. Okay. So then uh, this man, Ricky Dale Wyatt, who was pretty young at the time, uh, was ID'd through a photograph. Okay. Uh, now, Ricky Dale Wyatt, uh, let's describe him really quick just for fun. Uh, he is 5'4", um, 140 pounds. He had a full mustache, and he had no, count them, no gold teeth. Okay. Yeah. Those all seem like very uh, specific yeah. things that are missing. Very specific. Um, And this was all, all of this ID uh, was done through the third victim. And the third victim is really the only one who is involved going forward, majorly. Is, is she the only one that, like, got a good look at him or is it no it just good <laughs> it, well yeah um they really just went on hers and in okay. the end he would only be charged with one okay with just the third victim okay they didn't charge for the first two that's weird yeah i don't know why because they were all i mean aggravated sexual assault so it's yeah. not like one was more than the other one you know i don't know why they decided yeah. to focus on just one I don't know if maybe the women didn't want to come forward, which is totally understandable. Yeah. This, you said this was in the 80s? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, and it's in the, the South, so yeah. there's a lot of different, and the racial component, there's a lot of different things to consider. But either yeah. way, she ended up IDing him through a photograph. Um, he had uh, a couple of prior, like, minor run-ins with police, uh, okay. very minor, so they knew of him. Uh so the last assault, her assault was on January 6th, um, 1981. He was arrested on January 24th. So again, moving pretty quickly. Okay. Um, so they did an in-person lineup after she ID'd him through the photograph. Um, and I'm really glad you mentioned earlier the double blinds. Uh, they oh didn't gosh. even do a single blind, no blind. 
2020 oh. vision. Oh. Um, everyone was involved. Um, <laughs> I don't know if maybe that just The 80s. Texas. The 80s. Yeah. They did not give a shit back then. They did not. Yeah. And that's going to become pretty apparent. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I love when there's crossover like this. Because, like, that's... I think it's it doesn't seem like something... I think there's a lack of understanding of how important that is in police lineups. Makes sense in research, right? I think that is, when you're talking double blind, I think that is like what most people think about is like medical research. Uh Um, But like, it is pretty, pretty important. It's pretty important in your lineups, dude. Pretty important. Yeah. So she did, she did identify him through the lineup, but she, just like the other one, uh, testified to her doubts and she would testify at trial as well. She did positively identify him, mm-hmm. but she said that she wasn't sure um, and that she was distressed, um, which again, totally understandable. I'm not putting any blame on her at all. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was really it. So there was um, from her crime scene, there was, uh, I don't know if there was a rape kit, but they did uh, have seminal fluid and it wasn't this again, this was the 80s. Mm-hmm. So they had to make a kind of more general statement. They said that he was part of 20% of the population who could have done it. Okay. So oh I don't know God. if he had, I tried okay. to look into that. I didn't find much more about it. Again, this is the 80s. So it was in it, like its infancy yeah. DNA was it's, at the time. It's like the same thing if you have like a blood type, right? right. It would right. narrow it down to a certain percentage of yeah. people. I couldn't find specifically what it was, yeah. but I mean, that could be literally anything. It yeah. could be some kind of genetic marker. I don't right. know, but it right. was just, he could have done it. Yeah. Maybe. DNA 20%. was just a little baby back just then. A little, just a little sweet and Yeah. Thin. And now it's big and strong. Yeah. <laughs> Put yeah. people in prison. I love it. <laughs> Putting people in prison. Get people out of prison. <laughs> so we went uh we went over earlier that the description of the attacker and the description of Ricky Dale Wyatt had some differences, mm-hmm. one of them being his weight. Ricky Dale Wyatt was, I believe, I don't know why I don't have it written down, um, but I believe he was about 19 at the time. He was pretty young okay. um, at the time of this conviction, and he was just kind of a small guy. Um Five foot, uh, five foot four. Oh my god, one hundred and forty pounds. Yeah, he's yeah. a little guy. Yeah, small. And I mean, like to me, I'm thinking about the difference between like two hundred pounds and one seventy. And it's right. like there's a difference there, but there's an even bigger difference between two hundred and one forty. Yes, and there's yeah. a big difference between five nine and five four. Yes, like big time, big, big time. time. Uh, so that didn't match up. Um, but one of the officers, um, who was the same officer who facilitated the lineup okay. uh, had a fun theory uh, that perhaps Wyatt had lost 30 pounds in between being arrested, uh, in between committing the crime, allegedly, and being arrested, uh, okay. which would be 10 days. <laughs> and they yeah. think he lost 30 pounds? How much? Yeah, Like 30, 30 pounds. pounds? Yep. Yep, because as the trial went on, they focused more on her testimony of him, of the attacker being more like 200 pounds. Yeah. Like leaning more towards that. So that was kind of a, que- you know, a question that I'm sure they had. Like, So you um, would have to lose three pounds and te- three, po- three pounds a day. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, I looked it up. It's um, impossible. Yeah. And especially when you're that size, like to right. lo- lose weight that rapidly. Right. Wow. Yeah, even with like extreme drug use, like it's it's really not possible. He would have a ton of other 
physical side effects in order to lose. Did you and did you pounds. say that they this is like one of the theories they posited at trial or just in they, general? So, um Sorry if I'm they, jumping no, no, ahead. No, 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 no. I'm a little, <laughs> a little all over the place. Can't read yeah. my own notes. Um, uh, he had brought it up. The This officer had brought it up in the lineup. Oh, That was what – that's okay. I was just about to get uh, to that, jumping over the place a little bit. So okay. the woman, the victim, was doing the video lineup, and she said she wasn't sure. And she had looked at Ricky Dale Wyatt, who was at the end, and was like, well – uh, it, it could be him, but obviously it's not because he's so much smaller. And the officer said, oh, well, I have it on good authority that he actually just lost 30 pounds. Okay. So he made it up. Wow. Um, so she was like, oh, if that's the case, because she took it as fact because that's what he said. So she was like, oh, he just lost weight. Well, then it's that one because the other ones don't look like him. So that she oh was God. just going with what the police said. I am going to put this out there uh-huh. as a general statement. And people might hate on me for this, but it's just a fact. Police can lie to you yes. legally. Legally, they can lie to In you. In every stage of the investigation. So just going to throw Get that out there. Get a lawyer. Get a lawyer. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Get an attorney. Better call Saul. <laughs> Get someone in. True. So with – and that was – Pretty much all of the evidence they had, they really didn't have much else. They didn't have eyewitnesses except for the victim. The other so they two had one kind of eyewitness. Right. And a, um example of seminal fluid that could belong to him but was not matched to him. That narrowed it down to 20% of the population. Correct. Oh, my God. Okay. So on July 31st, 1981. I mean, it had more forensic evidence than mine I know. Did. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, oh that's my That's wild. Gosh. Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. It's that's nothing. That isn't anything. And I mean, this really speaks to the racial tone of the time. Yeah. I've never been to Dallas personally. Um, I did look up a couple things about it at the time. It seems like there were a lot of um, white attitudes, <laughs> which is gross. A lot of KKK. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at average, like, lengths of cases because I was like, boy, this seems real fast. Yeah. For a serial rapist. Like, first attack happened on November 1st, 1980, and then Ricky Dale Wyatt was convicted on July 31st, 1981. That's quick. That's real quick. Yeah, yeah. So he was convicted of aggravated rape um, for just the third assault. Again, they really didn't factor in the other two. Yeah. And he was sentenced to 99 years in prison. That is extreme. For one case of aggravated rape. So I looked it up because uh, that's something that I find um, very interesting and ridiculous, how short sentences are for sexual assault in this country. So I was like, okay, what's the average sentence for aggravated rape? You know, that's a very serious charge. Yeah. Um, Three to seven years. Okay. Not 99. Yeah. <laughs> so this 99 is, is like too long. Right. That's like too extreme. So he's like 20 years old. He's a black man in the middle of Texas. Yeah. And he just got sentenced to 99 years for a crime that has a normal average of less than 10. Good Lord. And my nothing. goodness. Yeah. So poor Ricky spent 31 years in prison. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. He appealed many, many times mm-hmm. and uh, lost several appeals. Finally, um, in 2005, he turned to the Innocence Project, back to the Innocence Project. Whoop, whoop. Um, so 
the Innocence Project. Wait. <gasps> yeah. What the hell? I never get to use it in the middle of the episode, but we actually have something to hype up. The Innocence Project. Innocence Project. Fireball. No, just kidding. Surprise. Um, that's the I got best. a button. <laughs> I looked at it earlier and was like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, and then got... I didn't. <gasps> I that's got a effects so too. cute. Yeah. I love that. One time when I worked at Menards, I got one of the, they were selling those for Halloween, the little like sound effect buttons. Yeah. And I taped it underneath the desk and like hit it for like a couple days and would just like push the buttons and like scare my managers. And it was great. <laughs> this was, these were both actually gifts from Tiff. Tiff's the best. Shout so she, out to Tiff. Mainly because she, Tiff. she got tired of having to, having to add this sound effect to our <laughs> audio track. Press the hype button for Tiff. Yay, Tiff. <laughs> That's the best. Uh, so the Innocence Project. Sorry. No, 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 <laughs> To no, no, get no. you off track. No, 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 I'm not even on track. I'm doing my best. <laughs> um, they turned to, because obviously they were interested in this DNA evidence because that was the only evidence that they really had. Mm-hmm. And they'd made several strides since 1980 and 2005. And they still had that evidence like in. So at first Uh-oh. they asked for it. They're like, can we please have the evidence? And they were like, um, we don't have it. And they were okay. like, oh, bummer. Okay. Uh, we're going to ask again, <laughs> give us the evidence. And they were like, just kidding. We do have it, but it's, partially degraded okay so they had to go to a real professional so they went to the southwest institute of forensic sciences they do a lot of good work in the area um just to see if there really was just anything to extract yeah um and it completely excluded wyatt completely excluded they were able to extract a a full profile uh despite the degradation and it was not him at all Wow! At Shocker! All. Like wh- wow! A shadow Color me shocked. I know. Do you see the look on my face? This That's, is how shocked I am. Shocked. <laughs> Lightning bolts. Um. <laughs> wow. So after that, I really don't know why they felt the need to do anything else, but maybe they wanted to be thorough. Yeah. Um. So they went back to the lineup. Um. They found out definitively because the cop obviously they knew the cop had lied in court mm-hmm. saying i know for a fact that uh he decided to gain or lose, oh, lose 30 pounds yeah um that he had made that up but they found out that not only had that police officer facilitated the lineup which is illegal um but that he had told her that at the lineup not just in court oh my so God. as she's looking at the guy he was telling her oh he's got wow. this they also found that the state had suppressed his ID card that had, you know, your ID card says height, weight, yeah. race, eye color. They had suppressed that. That was not allowed to be used for evidence of court, which is so weird. What? Because I'm like, it's an ID card. Yeah. And then. Um, that's so, that's super weird. Okay. Right? And he had a recent hospitalization that was from like a week before his arrest um, that showed his height and weight and okay. that he could not possibly have lost 30 pounds in a week. You know, yeah. he had no crazy medical conditions. The hospital had not noted it. So that was that was a really good, like, no one wants to go to the hospital. But I'm sure he was really glad that he had yeah. gone to the hospital and gotten that recent stamp. Like, right. this is how much I weigh. I am not 200 pounds, That's girl. wild. Um, and then his attorney uh, 
had never checked his medical records at all. They found out that he his never, attorney. Yes. Okay. His attorney had never. The other side obviously didn't do anything, but his right. own attorney had not checked any medical records for him. Okay. They had not done any kind of psychological evaluation, and the attorney presented had consulted no experts. Okay. Which is very unusual. You know, I feel like normally an attorney will, you know, try to get a psychological profile. I mean, even in the 80s, they're going to try to say he did this well, for a reason. effective ones will. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And this guy did not do that. He was yeah. just like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Um, and the 20% match, they went back. They looked at the original company who had said that, mm-hmm. and they had no evidence for that claim at all. Wow. So it's implied that the attorney may have made that up because there's no evidence of that like coming from any reliable source. I'd be curious if since this case, because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there have been more cases for the same I am sure. DA and invest like I wonder if they've done an investigation into that company or at least the cases similar right. cases like investigated by I hope so that DA. Because like, like what what yeah. are you doing, dude? Yeah. Um, you got the balls enough to just straight up, right? Just make like stuff up. make up evidence. And this is not the first time I've heard of something like this in a case yeah. either. Where There's, it's just like, where did you get that information from? Normally, if it happens one time, it yeah. has happened more than once. Right. Right. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure he's, uh, you know, Yo. living in a mansion somewhere. Oh, probably. But, um, that On a ranch. makes me mad. Yeah, ranch. <laughs> a little Texas ranch. Yeah. With a 10-gallon hat. If you're out there, we hate you. Wood everywhere. <laughs> Inside the house. I imagine, Ooh, I imagine what's her face oh, from yeah. Dixon. From her what? house. The horse lady Ew. from Dixon. Remind me after we're done recording. I'll show you pictures of her house. I forget what her I name is, I don't want though. to because I'm scared of horses. Yeah. I don't want to look at that. Yeah. It's <laughs> gross. Canceled. Yeah. Um. So that so he had reached out to the Innocent Proje- in- Innocence Project, excuse me, in 2005. And by May 9th, 2012, the conviction was vacated. Nice. And the charges were dismissed. Awesome. That's something that I had to look up. And I'm glad I'm uh, doing this podcast with you, of all people, because I was like, these yeah. are a lot of legal terms that I don't really understand. Yeah. Like the difference between vacated. There were a couple of articles that I that I looked at um, that were uh, – were just like regular news articles that came out like, oh, this man was exonerated in Dallas that came out like right as it happened. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ones right as it happened were like, so the court didn't say that he didn't do it necessarily. Yeah. But that there was enough evidence to let him go. So they were very careful about a lot of the wording there. And I found that really interesting. Yeah. So there's a big difference between something being vacated, Mm -hmm. something being overturned, Mm -hmm. which typically means that the conviction has been overturned and it gets remanded back to the lower courts. Mm -hmm. Um, It also gives like the state the option to decide if they're going to prosecute or not. Right. Um, Which is not necessarily the most ideal outcome because while you might be like out of prison like there's still kind of this looming are they will they won't they prosecute for a while right and that's a a lot of the articles were very sort of like careful to put like okay he's out but maybe not forever but luckily yeah and by december of 2014 um, the same Dallas court found him officially innocent. He was completely exonerated. 
they cannot charge him again. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some states now. I I don't know if it's a national thing uh-huh. um, or if it's a state. I think it's a state by state thing that will provide certificates of exoneration because okay. part of the issue mm-hmm. that you run into as somebody who's like spent all this time in prison is right. like you have a record and that right. does not necessarily get vacated right away, which is crazy. if you don't do all this extra so it's work. Like, I didn't do it, but yeah. it's so still when you, showing up when I try to apply for jobs. Exactly when they do like a background check, it's still going to show right. like felony, spent time in prison, blah blah blah. Even even though you've been found, you have to be found actually innocent I think in order insane. for any of that to be. Yeah, that it's drives me crazy. Very complicated legal stuff mm-hmm. in America. This is a, see. This is why <laughs> this show is part of the reason why I changed my career path because the legal stuff good. is like. Oh my gosh, I could just like sink my teeth into that. Man. See, and I'm too dumb. <laughs> no, so that is Google not for like true. A thousand years, absolutely like not confused. true. It is true. She's lying. No. She's lying to you guys. Nah. Um, I found the other thing I was looking for. So he had, I said earlier, he was the 325th person ever cleared like by DNA evidence. Okay. He also was the longest sentence served in Texas before being overturned. Wow. And you said it was 30, how many? 34? 31, 31 years. Oh 31 God. years in prison. And he was... It was vacated in uh, what year? In 2012 and then okay. uh, overturned, like done completely in 2014. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what a lot of the articles Damn. were like, you know, I'll I'll list them. Uh, yeah. It's like, you know, Dallas Times and it's like yeah. December 2014 or like January 2014. So it was like right as it was happening. So it was kind of cool to see like the general attitude of like, wow, he spent a lot of time in prison. For yeah. Something he yeah, yeah, yeah. did not do at all. Yeah. Um, something that I found really nice about this was, um, again, we're hyping uh, the Innocence Project. I got most of my information from there is that there were other people present in the court at his trials who had also been exonerated by the Innocence Project. That's they came awesome. sort of to support. And quite a few of them were people that he had served with in prison. Wow. They had been, they That's had known so each cool. other in prison. So yeah. there was um, the previous record holder for longest conviction in Texas, Cornelius Dupree, attended his court date. Okay. And was giving statements to the court like, well, uh, it's a ribbon I'm glad to pass. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he was glad not to be the longest one anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, we were talking earlier about, you know, the difference between vacated and exonerated. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have trouble applying to jobs. Luckily for Ricky, he doesn't have to worry about that because he was awarded uh, $2,480. Good. And uh, he gets... $15,075 monthly. So do you know if this was an immediate result of his conviction being overturned or did he have to sue? It, w- it was. So he was going to sue. He was, when I was reading the articles that were released like right around like 2014, it was saying like he was gearing up mm-hmm. to sue, um, but they ended up settling before. He yeah. never even. That's good. 
had to do because, anything. Because, again, that is another thing that right. is state by state. Illinois yes. actually has, like, an exoneration fund. Oh, really? Um, for when people have their sentences overturned. You are autom- – I'm, I'm oh, like, nice. 85% sure uh-huh. that it was this way the last time I looked, that you are entitled to X amount of money. That's good. But that is not guaranteed in every state. It's like court insurance. Yeah. <laughs> there is no guarantee. It depend. It's very state-dependent. There's a mm-hmm. lot of states that do not provide for that. I think that's- um, awful but again it's like if you do that you're admitting that you know your state might have an issue with like right putting people in jail and and this was one i loved in your case how um the woman came out and and made that really good apology Mm -hmm. uh there are no such apologies in fucking texas yep everything was like well we We still think he did yeah yeah and um the i will say that also, like your other case, the woman, the third victim, mm-hmm. uh, was very upset that it was overturned. She still sticks to her story. Um, definitely, I wish her all the best. Um, I'm sure this is a very traumatic time for her. I'm sure that's traumatic. Again, just like yeah. I said before, there's a certain closure to I'm sure it made her feel safe that, right. that he was locked away. And now that he's out and there's all this media attention, I'm sure people are bugging her. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I hope that she gets the closure that she needs. But to me, I just feel like this is not there, – there's just no doubt in this case he did not do it. Yeah. He was exonerated by the DNA. Good. Uh, they lied in the lineup. Jesus. Like, girl, like that's what really drew me to this one was the amount of – corruption the internal corruption not only the policeman Mm -hmm. lying just making up some crazy oh he lost 30 pounds which like unless you're chopping off limbs like no he didn't yeah yeah. um to the defense attorney not doing anything not hiring any experts not asking anyone anything not doing a psychological profile and then making up dna stuff yeah i just think that's wow insane um luckily um uh, Ricky has a lot of support from his family as well. Good. He did have a daughter who was three at the time that he was locked away. Mm-hmm. Um, she was there at Aww. his trial to support him along with his new granddaughter who <gasps> he had not met. Oh my God, that's so, so he got sweet. To meet her. Oh, it was so, I was sniffling oh, reading God. all the articles. So, yeah. uh, we wish Ricky all the best. Yeah. Um, and everyone who worked on his case, I hate you. nice what an ending oh my gosh well on that note uh before if you if you want something to listen to while you go on the rabbit hole of like looking at innocence project shit yes why don't you check out this podcast yeah murder road trip is a true crime podcast where i your host Haley, discuss murder cases in my car aka the mobile beats lab Join me and my partner in crime, H.H. Gnomes, on the road. There will be games, mixtapes, and snacks as I make the research journey to murder scenes around the world. Make sure to check your back seat, and I'll see you at the next rest stop. Well, folks, that has been our episode. Yay. Rachel, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so fabulous. much. This is so much fun. <laughs> anything to talk about my special interests? I'm like, anything to talk. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, honestly. Honestly, yeah. Anything to talk about <laughs> Honestly, anything. yeah. Um, we do not have any like events or anything coming up, but if we do, keep an eye on our social media and mm-hmm. we will let you know. 
Um, do you have anything? I mean, do you have anything to close the show? Do you want to say anything no, before we finish? it's just been so much fun. Um, I always want to give a shout out to the Innocence Project yes. every time I'm yeah. looking into anything and I get to see them. They're just such a well-run organization. Truly. They're amazing. Um, so if you ever have any interest in this sort of thing, definitely check out their website. Yes. And on that note, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our Woo. music is by Jason Zashevsky, The Enigma. Woo. This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all people in some form or another. Am I doing okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're doing cool. perfect. <laughs> Dude, you, you just got to be yourself. That's it. I'm trying. My hands are sweaty. Are they really? Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. Mom's spaghetti. These week. <laughs>